Welcome everybody to the R&R CatCast, a fan-based podcast focusing on Montana State Athletics. We're two dudes named Ryan from the state of Washington talking about our dear Montana State. We hope you enjoy it. Welcome back, Bobcat fans. On behalf of Ryan and I, we hope in this unique time, you have health, comfort, and purpose. One of the goals of the r is to continue to provide you with content. And I know for us, this podcast is one of our favorite ways we engage with our Bobcat community. We're currently focusing on reaching out to former players, media members, coaches, and others connected to Montana State. Well, Thorny is taking tonight off. It's his birthday, so I'm picking up some duties to introduce Paul Shredelson of the Bozeman Daily Chronicle. Paul sat down with us recently. We talked about the turnover in Bobcat basketball, the absence of spring football, and some news on facilities. We already have a couple more interviews lined up, so look for those. Don't hesitate to send us a message on the Twitter machine, or you can talk to us through Bobcat Nation. We have a recurring thread over there. And as always, guys, send in those Golden Koozie questions. So without further ado, here's Paul. Welcome back, Bobcat fans. We're fortunate enough to have Paul Schwedelson of the Bozeman Daily Chronicle on with us tonight. Paul, how are you doing? Great, great. I'm excited to be on for uh, for the first time. Yeah, excited to have you on, especially for the first time coming on our show. I really appreciate you taking the time to come on. It's been uh, something I've looked forward to since you since you guys asked me, and obviously it'll be fun to talk about sports a little bit. Oh man, we need we need some sport talk right now. Yeah. I heard that uh, <laughs> that Chicago Bulls documentary had like 11 million viewers or something, which uh, tells you just how much people want sports right now. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I was uh, I was talking with some some of my friends. I had like a one of those scheduled Zoom calls, and I was like, "Guys, I gotta go at seven o'clock because I gotta watch this live." <laughs> and they were like, "Can't you just record it?" And I was like, "Well, this will be like the closest thing I'll get to watching a sporting event with a Twitter as a second screen." That's a good point. <laughs> That's a good point. I, <laughs> I I tuned in as well. It was awesome. I, and I watched the second one too. So the, uh, ESPN ran it back uh hour later. It was just as good. It was awesome. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, for those who don't know, Paul Schwedelson is the reporter for the Bozeman Daily Chronicle who covers the men's basketball and the football teams. But at the moment, probably not as busy as he would like to be due to the virus that's going around. But um, what do you think, Ryan? Should we start off with basketball, or is there any other questions that you had? I know you had a couple questions you wanted to ask Paul first, maybe. Yeah, I want to know. Well, I'm just looking at Paul's Twitter page right now, and a couple things that come. I see a running picture. Paul, are you a runner? I would consider myself not a runner, traditionally, because I guess I never really got into running Seriously, I guess I would consider myself an amateur runner, but the profile picture on Twitter is from when I ran in the Bozeman Marathon. I guess the photo is from when I finished, uh, was finishing and crossing the finish line of the Bozeman Marathon. So uh, that was in September of 2019. Uh, Definitely a really, really cool moment. That's an impressive feat. Yeah, so thank you. I appreciate that. And obviously, uh, I guess... I guess you could say anyone who runs a marathon is a runner, but I personally wouldn't wouldn't really consider myself that. Uh, it's just kind of something I picked up, uh, you know, and kind of has started to do a little bit more and more. 
Nice, man. Myself, I'm a runner. I would consider myself a runner. So I, I like the picture a lot, dude. That's pretty cool. <laughs> oh, thank you. Thank you. I guess the other question is, is the question we have for all of our guests. How did you end up in Bozeman? Uh, well, good question. I grew up outside of New York City in Westchester County, uh, then went to Syracuse University uh, for college, and then graduated college in the spring of 2017. And then I uh, was just kind of applying for some different jobs and then uh, landed in, in Bozeman. And I've really enjoyed it uh, so far. And I think it's a really cool place to live. Obviously, I think hopefully everyone listening to this podcast knows that, but <laughs> we won't, we won't, we won't tell everyone else, you know, everyone wants to always be the last person to move here. So. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you move there and then it's all of a sudden it's your secret. No one else gets to move here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> but I guess it was, you know, pretty simple in terms of just kind of applying to uh to jobs and uh ending up here. Didn't know anyone out here or anything, just like Bozeman. No, sure. I yeah, that's <laughs> yeah, that's pretty much a good way to to describe it. Uh didn't really know anyone here. Um there were a couple people who you know, like a mutual friend on Facebook or a long lost friend from elementary school or, you know, had some kind of connection here or there. Um, but for the most part, pretty much no one that I'm really close with or, you know, still really like consistently in touch with. Uh, so pretty much moved here without ever seeing anywhere, you know, being here or visiting or just kind of moved out somewhat on a whim and uh, just kind of hope that it would work out. And I guess it has. So that's been, that's been good. Well, we're glad that you did because I think you do a great job for the Chronicle and I enjoy reading your content. Oh, thank you. That I appreciate that. Yeah. Well, uh, before we get into the interview, we we'll just kind of give a rundown of what we're going to do tonight. So we're going to talk with Paul a little bit about the men's basketball. We had some, some movement in within the program and then we're, going to talk some football kind of like what is the impact of not having spring football mainly and we'll finish up with just a little bit of maybe a small question on facilities and fundraising but i thorny what do you think we should start with some basketball here i think so i think that's probably the most newsworthy thing to be happening this week football not a lot of action right now but no. we had what five players left the team so far this offseason and we've signed Six, six players in the same time span. So it's a good kind of starting spot, I think, to talk. I guess just to clarify a little bit, it's worth pointing out the five players who entered the transfer portal, four of them were on scholarship. So in terms of scholarship spots, talking about four players leaving, and then they signed four players in this signing period to go along with two players they signed in the November signing period. Mm -hmm. And initially the two players signed in November, if you think about it in terms of replacing the graduating seniors, Harold Frey and Layden Ricketts. And then the four players signed this past week in the spring signing period are replacing the four players, the four scholarship players who entered the transfer portal after the season. So the per, uh, the person who was not on scholarship, would that be Brent Finn? 
Yes, that is correct. Good trivia question. <laughs> <laughs> well, Ryan was nice enough to do the research on, make sure we knew the five. I was like, I know it's Paul, Paulo, Quinlan, Guilford. I couldn't remember Zach Hobbs. I couldn't remember the other guy. But uh, so we'll just recap it for those listening who may not know. It's Michael Paulo, Zeke Quinlan, Quentin Guilford, or is it Guilford? I'm sorry. Uh, how do you pronounce it? Guilford. Guilford. Okay. And then Zach Hobbs and Brent Finn have all entered the transfer portal for this year. The most surprising to me would be Michael Paulo because he was a sprinkle recruit and played decent amount of minutes last year, but uh, he is in the port- portal as well. Now, uh, Paul, would you say this is, would, uh, what's the kind of the timeline here? Were they, did they transfer and then their uh, guys were kind of recruited or did they, the recruits kind of sign, which kind of maybe forced some of the transfers? I guess that's a good question. I guess it was kind of simultaneous in the sense of coaches pretty commonly will recruit players somewhat anticipating the potential of transfers Um, just because, I mean, right now I think there's over 700 players in the transfer portal for division one teams. That's an average of about two players per team. So that's, that, and that's an average across the entire country, you know, all 350 teams. So, well, the Bobcats you know, are bringing I, the average up right now. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, I think that, you know, the coaches are cognizant of that, uh, those trends. And so they recognize that there's the potential for transfers. And so there's, they're kind of keeping an eye on who they're bringing in. And then also, um, you know, I think there's also, if you look at it, um, you know, with in terms of just like the playing time breakdown and uh, specifically Zeke Quinlan, Quentin Gulliford, and Michael Paulo were all originally recruited and signed when Brian Fish was the head coach. So there's some of that too involved in terms of like, you know, different coach that then who recruited them. And so... I guess it's kind of simultaneous. It's kind of hard to say, but, um, you know, you look at the, the playing time breakdown, I don't know how much any of them were going to play this upcoming year. There was a chance that, you know, they'd be closer to the end of the bench than the front of it, let's say. And so, you know, obviously players want to play and maybe they recognize the recruits, the other recruits that are coming in and, kind of shakes out like that so probably a, I guess to answer your question probably a combination of some kind of simultaneous occurrence well I misspoke earlier I thought Paulo was a sprinkle junior college transfer that's kind of how I'd remembered it yeah so he originally signed when Brian Fish was the head coach and then this up this past season was his first season at Montana State so obviously he had never played for Brian Fish, but he was recruited by Brian Fish. Okay. Or sorry, he never he only played at Montana State under Danny Sprinkle, but he was recruited by Brian Fish. So there was sure. somewhat of a disconnect there, if that so, kind of makes sense. No, it makes sense. So Sprinkle just like honored the commitment or kept the commitment. Right. I believe he was already signed at that point. So he was essentially already on the team. Yeah, and if and if you think about the timing, Jabril Bello, Michael Paulo, and Caleb Belich were the three players who never played for Brian Fish, but 
but they were signed when he was the head coach. And so, but then it's, it's kind of weird because those three players were all in their first season at MSU this past season, but so was someone like Amin Adamu who Sprinkle signed. Although he was also being recruited by Fish simultane- like simultaneously previously. <laughs> so there's like a lot of like weird, it's like very difficult to like parse out some of that stuff. But um, Michael Pollo was signed when, when Brian Fish was the head coach. Well, we can certainly say it wasn't a roster full of Sprinkle players. This past season especially, yeah, for sure. Now, I wonder if that's why we are seeing so much turnover right now or if this will be the norm going forward. I think there's probably a combination of both. Uh, one being that, you know, maybe some of these players, specifically Quentin Gulliford and Zeke Quinlan, who maybe stayed on the team, you know, hoping that they could kind of make their mark and and have a chance to play. But then after this past season, knowing that, you know, they they didn't really get the playing time maybe that they desired at that point, you know, it's like they gave a new coach a chance. They gave it a chance a year to see if it could work. And then it didn't. And then at the same time, so that, that I think is part of it because, you know, there's still some of that fallout from a coaching transition, sure. but at the same time, there's also so many transfers in division one men's college basketball. It's become so popular to do that. It could become the norm, especially when you consider the, the upcoming legislation that could be passed, allowing players to transfer from a division one four-year program to another division one four-year program and not have to sit out. And the fact that if there's immediate eligibility, uh, there's a lot of people who think that that could even further increase the number of transfers beyond, beyond two per team each year. So, because, you know, there'd be, obviously there'd be, um, immediate eligibility so you wouldn't have the the uh you know the rule that you have to sit out so that could also be a factor so in terms of what is the norm going forward i think you know that's a possibility that that is probably going to continue especially being that you know that legislation is likely to pass according to a lot of different reports so you factor that in um, going forward, it, you know, it could continue to be the norm. And also in this year specifically, um, you know, the fallout could continue from, you know, from the coaching change. Yeah. Yeah. The, that legislation, I could see somebody like uh, Tyler Hall, who ends up as a junior, kind of some recognition, he's going to get like uh, poached for a senior season, kind of like, all right, you did all the development. We'll take him for his senior year. Thanks, Montana State. <laughs> I that yeah. Happening. Yeah, and I know there's a lot of coaches around the country who, especially at the mid and low major level, that are kind of concerned about that. Um, but it's an interesting situation because obviously the coaches might be concerned about it because, like you said, of that scenario you just laid out. But at the same time, you know, I think there are only five sports that have this rule that ha- make you have to sit out. And so, you know, the other argument would be, 
you know, any student at any university can transfer. And it's not like an engineering student has to sit out a year, you know, when they, when they transfer into a new engineering program at a different school. Uh, so, um, you know, those are the, obviously two, two arguments, you know, you could go back and forth with, um, but you know, there are a lot of coaches that are concerned about it. Yeah. We don't need to go too much into the argument. I've thought a lot about it myself. I'm definitely, I lean towards more of the, the player side. Like, like you said, like, why can't anybody transfer anywhere you want? There shouldn't be a coaching staff, a commitment to play sports at a university should keep you from going to another university to play sports. Like it's just kind of a, a weird thing if you really think about it. And I think it's more the the job of the coaching staff and the university to make a player want to stay. Like it should be making it, giving them reasons not to leave. Right. I guess I won't give my opinion on it just because as a reporter, you know, that's not, not my place. Uh, but I'll leave, I'll leave the opinions up to you guys. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're not real hot takers here. That's for sure. <laughs> Coldest takes in town. <laughs> so Paul, I did have a question for you as, as we're sitting here talking about basketball uh, and I'm thinking about this, this year under Danny Sprinkle, how was it being around the program with Sprinkle being the head coach? And maybe kind of juxtapose that with uh, the time with Fish. Well, I guess the biggest thing, and you pretty much can notice this right away from their practices specifically, is the coaching style. And I think a lot of fans noticed it at games, too, in terms of the way they would handle themselves on the sidelines. Um, And I don't think there's a right or wrong way you know, to have a coaching style, Mm -hmm. you know, if you can find a way to be successful one way and that works, then that's great. And so you could be like Brian fish and be yelling at players pretty much from the moment that the ball tips, you know, and, and, you know, yelling at players the whole 40 minutes, or you could be like Danny Sprinkle, who is um, much more, mild mannered on the sidelines and in practice as well. And most of the times when he would be yelling during games would be directed at the refs. Whereas uh, Brian fish would just be kind of yelling all the time constantly. And, (laughs) and every, every coach has a different coaching style. You know, there's no right or wrong way, uh, but they are very different in that aspect. And I think anyone who went to any games and saw the two coaches coach that was a pretty stark difference just in terms of those interactions with the players on the team. And so that's to me, I would say what, what stood out the most in terms of like what it was like being around the team. Mm -hmm. Um, The other thing I would add is that Danny Sprinkle put a really high emphasis on embracing the community and embracing the Bozeman Montana state university experience. And they would um, really encourage their players to attend volleyball matches or go to football games or, you know, do different things. And, and um, that, that was another thing. And, and Danny Sprinkle really put a big emphasis on like trying to attend, improve attendance and embrace the, the fan base and, and, and drum up support. And so that was another thing that stood out to me because so often we think of 
success in college athletics programs in terms of wins and losses, whether this is right or wrong, you know, that's a conversation for another time, but we so often think of success in college athletics in terms of wins and losses. And when I interviewed Danny Sprinkle after the season ended, he said he considered it a successful season. And I asked him what factors made it successful in your mind. And he said, finishing above 500 as one reason, but he also pointed to the increase in attendance and whether that's right or wrong or how important that is to you as a fan, like you can, you know, everyone can have a different opinion on that, but I thought it was interesting that he highlighted that as a big focus for him and then executed on it. And so that also stood out to me. Man, I would love to sit down with Harold Frey and pick his brain on that topic as well. (laughs) I would be interested to see what he had to say. I think Harold Frey is one of the most fascinating athletes I've covered uh, because, especially because of his role on the search committee. Mm -hmm. And when I've interviewed him, he he didn't want to really share a lot of the details about that, which is understandable. He probably was told, like, don't really talk about this or either way you know just respecting the privacy of of that search process even if he wasn't told that i guess i shouldn't really say but um you know the fact that he was involved in those conversations and kind of serving as that liaison to the team i think is a fascinating uh perspective to have oh no doubt and another note another note on harold frey real quick is that he for the past, you know, two seasons, I guess, or three seasons, um, he's always been one of the best players to interview. Mm-hmm. And which is to me is incredible because English is his second language. And sometimes, obviously, we talk a lot about how impressive he was as an athlete, but I guess I don't necessarily always have the opportunity to kind of share that to people. And I think, you know, just chit chatting on a, podcast is probably a good opportunity to kind of share that um you know if you never heard an interview with harold frey it's like pretty impressive to know that you know he was always extremely well spoken and it wasn't even his first language (laughs) (laughs) yeah he's a good face for the bobcats for sure oh yeah and uh yeah we should try and get him on why not (laughs) who knows (laughs) he's gonna have a long european career i imagine no, he's he just took a job. I saw it on Twitter. He's taking a job with like an analytics company for basketball. Really interesting. Yeah. Well, there he you go. Was, like cerebral. There's the analytics side. He might have been signing with an agency as well. No, there's there's both. the scoop right there. <laughs> 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 well, before we get off the basketball topic, I do want to. Uh, do you have a quick like initial impression of the class that Sprinkle assigned to date? Good question. I would say that I always have a very difficult time trying to analyze recruits because you're talking about a lot of times junior college or high school players and another Division One transfer who barely played at North Texas this past season. So a lot of times it's very difficult to project where they might fit in. And, you know, obviously the transition from high school to college is 
difficult to project and the transition from junior college to division one is difficult to project. But what I try to do is look at trends. And the biggest thing that stood out to me was the, the target on pursuing players who were effective three point shooters. Yeah. And so that was a, that was something that stood out to me in terms of the types of players that they're bringing in because something that was an issue this past season was they were generally somewhat easy to guard. And I don't mean <laughs> like they were, when I say easy to guard, I don't necessarily mean like they were bad offensively, but if you look at the players on the roster, other than Harold Frey, most of them <laughs> really only had like one way to score. You know, yeah. so if you look at like Aminadamu was mostly just driving to the basket or Layden Ricketts was mostly just shooting the three. Mm-hmm. And so, or, you know, Devin Kirby was playing the four, but he's obviously not a three-point shooter. You know, traditionally he had played the five throughout his career and he's kind of messing up the spacing because if you put him on the perimeter, everyone knows he's not going to shoot. And if you put him inside, you kind of mess up the spacing. So, and then Jabril Bella was just like drop, step and dunk every time, you know? And so, (laughs) um, so they, they, everyone was kind of one dimensional and a big thing that Danny Springle has talked a lot about is the idea of pursuing players who could dribble pass and shoot. And it sounds like super elementary and like super basic. Uh, but it is an interesting way to think about it. If you break it down in those terms, because, you know, they want to play, a four out one in offense and they want to be able to stretch the floor and they want to be able to use their power forward as a player who can shoot the three because that opens up spacing and yada, 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 all that modern day type basketball stuff. And so they went out and targeted players who were effective three point shooters. So if there's one trend to keep an eye on for the upcoming season, I would say, keep an eye on the three-point shooting and the how many dimensions of the offense that they have. Because, so, like I said, so many players were kind of one-dimensional. And like I said, that's not necessarily a knock on the offense, but that's just kind of the way that they played. And I think now that pretty much, obviously there's still some players who were recruited by Brian Fish, but I think the roster has only one player who played for Brian fish, which is Devin Kirby. And so everyone else has either been recruited by Danny Sprinkle or has only played in college under Danny Sprinkle, which is kind of a fascinating development because it's only taken here. We are a little bit more than a year since he was hired and almost the entire roster is turned over to an extent. And so that's what I would keep an eye on thinking about next season. All right. Well, I appreciate the the thoughts on the basketball program. It's going to be an interesting season to watch and uh, should be no surprise to anyone who knows Danny Sprinkle that he would like people who can shoot three-pointers on his team as a (laughs) (laughs) So, Paul, one of the reasons why we really wanted to talk to you today is talk about the the hole in our hearts that is (laughs) spring ball. (laughs) I say that with a little tongue-in-cheek because most of us don't give a rip about spring ball. Uh, is there any specific news or let me frame it this way. 
what is the impact of not having spring ball for Montana State if there is an impact? And kind of what's the next step Montana State needs to do uh, in the next couple months? Well, I guess if you ask Jeff Choate, he would say it's very minimal. Yeah, right. <laughs> so, he's never been a fan of spring ball. Every single year, he's just out there like just railing against spring football. So I don't, I don't, <laughs> I don't think he's too heartbroken about that. Well, Bozeman yeah, springs so. are just like they're they're horrible. I mean, you don't know what you're going to get. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I think the spring game would have been a couple of days ago this past weekend, and it was snowing last week. So, yeah. Right. Um, <laughs> So in that sense, I think, and well, so the thing to keep in mind is Jeff Choate's whole argument has always been that practices in the summer are more important than practices in the spring. And so for the, if you think about spring isolated in just the spring, I don't know how much of an impact it makes other than I think there's some benefits with you know, you have a new offensive coordinator, you have a potential quarterback battle. Some of those things may be helpful just to get extra work, to get a little bit more familiar on the field practicing with a new offensive coordinator and running through some of those things. And that, and then he could get familiar with the players and vice versa. But Jeff showed especially when you talk about a fifth year head coach has kind of established what he wants and has very clear intentions. And so the spring itself, I don't, I don't necessarily know how much of an impact, you know, if it, if it's a big impact at all, Yeah, I, you know, he would, he normally doesn't, he, you know, when they do have spring ball that, you know, he normally says it's not that big of a deal. And now that they don't have spring ball, he's saying it's, also similarly not that big of a deal the thing that would be worth pointing out is the effect on summer practices because i know montana state uh shifted to online classes for the summer and that could have an effect because you know like i said jeff Choate's whole argument has been that spring ball doesn't matter but what matters is the practices in the summer and so then now that that is now being affected that's where I think you could have start to have a little bit more of a spillover effect. But the thing that you have to keep in mind too, is that every team is going through something similar. So I don't necessarily know if it puts them behind at all. And again, you're talking about a fifth year head coach and also the spring practices or the summer practices that they would normally have. A lot of them would be without the coaches anyway, because of different rules and such. So those would be a lot of times be player run practices in the summer. Sure. I know that's, that's been such a big thing in Schultz culture is just having player standards, player coaching, basically player run type stuff. So um, yeah, that big blow is summer workouts cannot proceed. Right. So that's, that's what I would, you know, keep in mind. But again, it's every team that's kind of going through something similar. So, and plus, I mean, we don't even know like what the season's going to even look like. No, and we, we had this on here. Uh, I don't know if Ryan wants me to ask this. I'm going to ask it anyway. You don't have to give a real long answer. Do you think there will be a college football season? If you had a gut feeling. I, well, 
I guess I'll preface this by saying anything that comes out of my mouth in the next 30 seconds is like purely speculation. Uh, <laughs> I don't like it. Uh, <laughs> uh, but I mean, one, it's really hard to say. Two, there might be a season, but it might not look like what we know college football as, whether that means playing in the spring or whether that means no fans or whether that means whatever other kind of variation, you know, it, it, it could happen, but it may be different. And I think, I think we're at the point where maybe we have to start preparing for a situation where what we are used to having with college football might not be possible. And again, I don't know. That's what, that's my statement is I don't know. Um, but the other thing to keep in mind is like the big sky touches on such a large geographic footprint that, you know, Montana governor, Steve book is talking about, you know, starting to open things back up, you know, within the next two weeks. And meanwhile, there's a lot of other places in, you know, within the big sky footprint that are in much different situations compared to what, you know, Montana might be in. So that makes it a little bit complicated. Yeah. That, and that's, that's a good point. And that's the, and that's the key factor too, is just this whole thing is probably going to be really complicated. Well, you're saying it's a bad time to be a podcast without a sponsor looking for a sponsor. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> <laughs> All the businesses are shut down. There's not not be a college football season. Yeah. I wish you'd have secured one last, last year fully. I know. We still need one. If you're listening, <laughs> come talk to us. If you got any money left, send it our way. Uh, Paul. Right, uh, yeah, go so go ahead. I'll do it. Um, one of the things we wanted to talk to you about on football, of course, is we wanted to pick your brain. Let's just go with this. Give us one of the top or top one or two position battles you were looking forward to watching during spring ball. Quarterback. Oh, I was going to give you a caveat without saying quarterback because I was you didn't question. Though. Yeah, I didn't. Okay. <laughs> All right. Fair enough. <laughs> um, okay. Let's, let's think here for a second. Um, well, I think, okay, my, I'm just trying to run through the positions in my head. The thing that is interesting over the past couple of seasons is you kind of see this progression of the program and now they've, if you think about like under Jeff Choate now being entering his fifth season, they've established depth so that even the players who are stepping in aren't really like complete unknowns. So what I mean by that is like at wide receiver, for example, you know, they're losing Travis Johnson and Kevin Cassis, but you also bring back Coy Steele and Lance McCutcheon. And Coy Steele and Lance McCutcheon haven't necessarily played or haven't necessarily like made the most catches, especially compared to uh <laughs> Johnson. <laughs> yeah. But like they've 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 contributed and they're two players that I think fans are familiar with. They're not like complete unknowns. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, off the top of your head, you think like, okay, you lose Kevin Cassis and Travis Johnson, you think, oh, that would probably be an interesting position battle to watch. But when you think about who would be replacing them, maybe it's not. So, um, you know, there's, 
there's just like a lot of depth. I think they bring a lot back. Um, so I don't know. It's hard to say like a, a specific, specific position battle, but quarterback, obviously that's the, that's the easy one. <laughs> well, let's talk about the quarterback. So we have three guys in contention for the quarterback. So we have Tucker Rovig, the incumbent starter, Casey Bauman, who won the starting position last year and then transferred from North, uh, North Carolina state. Am I correct on that? Yes. We have Matt McKay who brings more of a, maybe a dual threat nature. I don't know. I haven't seen him really play, but I, I did watch his highlight film one night on YouTube or something. So obviously I'm an expert, but <laughs> I mean, so I'm looking at this and we have three guys who've won or have played in division one games to me as a fan, as just me being myself, that's too many. Uh, we need, in my perspective, I feel like we should have two at most. And so to open this up again, under going into the fifth season under Jeff Choate for a quarterback battle seems to me just a little bit crazy. I don't know why we're continually in this position under Jeff Choate. I thought Tucker Rovig made some really big strides last year towards the end of the year. So I was really surprised when we signed Matt McKay. I just don't know what Jeff Choate is doing here. What are your thoughts? Well, clearly the coaching staff believes that they could upgrade at quarterback by bringing in Matt McKay, whether that means having him as the starter or whether that means having him to push Tucker Rovig or whether that means just having him in whatever role that they might put him in because we know that this staff loves to do that. And so um, I think, you know, Jeff Choate likes having the the competition. Uh, He hasn't shied away from that. And if they see an opportunity to improve at the quarterback position, I think that's probably the biggest motivation in terms of bringing in Matt McKay. The thing that is really interesting to me about the whole Tucker Rovig thing is like a year ago, we didn't know the answer to this question, but if you were to pose the question, can Montana state reach the FCS semifinals with Tucker Rovig at your quarterback? The answer has been proven fact in reality. The answer is yes, it is possible. And now whether that means they could improve at quarterback, I mean, you know, you could always find a way to improve. And so if they feel like Matt McKay gives them a better option, obviously they would, they would go with him. Um, but Tucker Ovig is also a somewhat viable option in the sense of he's already proven that the team can get there. And now obviously you can argue like, well, they made the semifinals in spite of him rather than because of him. And I mean, he improved as the season went along and ended up proving like that he's capable of, of taking the team to the semifinals, regardless of all the other outside factors. And so ultimately, you know, that's up to the coaches to decide like who gives them the best chance to win, but it's an interesting situation. And I think a lot less precarious than in previous years because of the way that Tucker Rovig improved throughout last season. So I think you think back to the past two seasons and the the quarterback battles that they've had, there was so much more unknown. And now the fact that Tucker Rovig has started for, you know, pretty much a full season or close to a full season last year and went on that playoff run. I think that 
having him have that experience if you're a fan, I think that probably gives you some kind of sense of security. I don't know. You guys are fans, so maybe you could touch on that better than I could. But, you know, he's proven that. And so if Matt McKay is an upgrade over him, then the coaches would go with him. But if not, you have a guy who has that experience that we've all seen play. Well, I think Ryan and I are both were pretty impressed with the way Rovig progressed throughout the year. He definitely had ups and downs and lots of speed bumps, but he definitely got better as the year went on. And I was confident with him moving into next year. Um, so I, I agree with Ryan. I was a little surprised we brought in a quarterback to kind of try and replace him. I mean, that's just like you said, that's what Jeff Choate does, right? He brings in, he, he'll say it. He'll say, my job is to what out-recruit you or to find a replacement for you. Or I don't know how he phrases it, but it's something along those lines. So it's, I guess in, in, in Jeff Choate world, it's really not surprising at all. Um, but I think... Whoever wins the battle between those three guys, I think we're going to be a better football team offensively throwing the ball than we were last year. Right. And I think that, you know, if you assume that Tucker Rovig, you know, is the later part of the season Tucker Rovig, and he can kind of build off of that, then at least you kind of have a baseline for what the performance would be, which is probably valuable. Of course, the whole wrench in the the battle is how, how Udi would like to have his quarterback room look. Right, and that's probably a situation where maybe having some spring practices might not have hurt them. But that's something that every team's got to deal with. And like you said, it is. You describe it as a wrench. I would, I guess, I would describe it more of just like an unknown because we don't know necessarily whether that's a wrench or something different. Um, but that's what, uh, I guess that's why we got to wait and see. Well, a wrench can be used to fix things or a wrench can be thrown into break stuff too. So see, a wrench can go both ways. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to I was about to say a wrench or a rose, but I didn't know if that made any sense. <laughs> so this is like one of the big things that I do not like what Jeff Cho does. I think he, in this specific instance where we have Tucker Rovig, being the man at the later part of the season, all of a sudden we go into the off season and, and then, Ooh, guess what? We signed an, another quarterback. Of course we're going to sign another quarterback, but to have this transfer of Matt McKay from an outsiders, from a fan's perspective, I just see it as meddling with Tucker Rovig. And uh, from again, from the outsider's perspective, it doesn't seem to me that Tucker has responded well when that's been the case. Uh, he hasn't risen to that level. Like when Bauman was, you know, the, the summer battle going on last year when they were going at it, you know, T- Tucker didn't really seem to respond to that. Well, again, this is just from a fan's perspective, but when he was given the reins as the man, he showed what he could do. So if I'm Tucker Rovig and then I see this Matt McKay, I'm like, okay, we're just going through this again. So maybe he's battle tested in that way. Or maybe it just is going knocking him back to kind of, you know, square one again. Personally, I feel like Choke should just stick with Rovig or stick with a guy and just, you know, believe in him and make the team go, okay, this is our guy. And just cultivate that leadership within that one dude. Because what it seems to me like right now is, again, we're back at this quarterback battle. I mean, if you're if you've only played under Jeff Choate, that's been the norm. So I guess you don't really know anything else. 
but I think they're missing out on the opportunity to galvanize that leader right away and then build upon that. So let's play out this scenario where now this is kind of a weird thing to do, but let's play out a scenario where Sacramento state beats Austin P Montana state goes on the road and loses to Sacramento state in the quarterfinals in the playoffs. And then do you still feel similarly about Tuckerovic? I guess it would depend on how that game played out. If it was, if Rovic threw for 300 yards and three touchdowns and no interception, we still lost. I mean, it just it depends on the nature of the game. But I mean, I, I see your point. And yeah, definitely, it definitely would take the um, kind of excitement I have for Rovic just because, you know, he wouldn't have got as far in the, in the playoffs, but that still would have been one of the better playoff appearances like that we've had in the last decade or so we just we win a playoff game and then we get blown out was kind of the mo we had there in the rob ash era so um you know i don't i don't know it it, it kind of just depends but i still think i would be still in favor of rovig and sticking with rovig unless he had a complete meltdown in this game in this hypothetical right. game <laughs> right and obviously it's you know like you said it's a hypothetical and you know it it is one game but i was just using it in terms of like making the point of like sometimes our perceptions are just totally shaped by team performance. And if Jeff sees an opportunity to improve the team, he's probably going to do it and let the best man win. And that's kind of been his attitude. And, you know, and I don't necessarily want to compare Matt McKay to Travis Johnson, but Travis Johnson came in in a somewhat similar situation, transferring in, intending to play quarterback, not having a spring ball because he got hurt and then changing positions and then being a really important contributor. So we don't necessarily know what the future holds for Matt McKay. And if Jeff Choate saw a chance to elevate the room, then that's what, what he was going to do. But I think, you make, I, think, I think you make a good point that Tucker Ovig has not necessarily played his best when he's been in these competitions, but rather when he's been told okay you're the guy well who knows by the time the long island game rolls around or whatever our first game ends up being whenever it happens to be tucker Ovik will be quarterback matt mckay will be a safety and casey bauman will be tight end <laughs> <laughs> yeah i would not be shocked by any of these things <laughs> or it could be the other way around you know it could yeah. be matt mckay quarterback Tucker Rovig, fullback, and Casey Bauman, <laughs> defensive end. That's the other Jeff Cho MO, right? Changing positions, <laughs> finding a spot for you. Yeah. Paul, I do got a question about Jeff Cho for you. And this is what something uh, I talked to Thorny last night about. I was like, I'm going to ask him this. Uh, does, does interviewing Jeff Choate or asking Jeff Choate a question after a loss, does that intimidate you? No. Damn it. <laughs> so uh, I am very envious of that because the one time I was in the room with Jeff Choate, I was in the room twice with Jeff Choate. And both times I shrunk like a little sissy in the back of the room, <laughs> had opportunities to talk to him, but it was just, I don't know, man, the guy makes me a little bit nervous when I'm around him. The one thing I guess I would say is his press conferences are fascinating and they have a 
very interesting rhythm to them. And mm-hmm. he is very explanatory and he is very, he's a very well-spoken representative for the university. And when he says things in press conferences, he is very intentional with his messaging. And so anytime you see something or watch one of his press conferences, I would just keep in mind that he's very aware of who he's speaking to and what his messages are. And so when he goes on his little, or he used to go on his little tangents about wanting facilities. And then now his new big message has been about like cost of attendance Mm -hmm. because they got the facilities thing figured out. So now he knew he needs like a new thing to, to talk about. Um, he's very intentional. And so that's something I would recommend also just like keeping in mind when you, when you watch his press conferences. Yeah. We, we had the opportunity for homecoming to go, uh, sit in the press conference there. And yeah, neither of us were definitely going to ask a question. And that thing is definitely a little intimidating meeting him for the first time or not even meeting him, just being in the same room with them and a little, the way he presents himself and talks and his like booming voice and all that stuff. Yeah, so I got it. <laughs> and I and I would also add that I'm appreciative of how explanatory he is because he definitely, I think he definitely does explain his thinking, you know, whether you agree with it or disagree with it or whatever. He is very clear in terms of like what his attitude and what his approach is, which I think as a reporter, I'm appreciative of that because you know, we're asking him questions to find out information and find out explanations and rationales and all this, that, and the other. And he does a pretty good job of, of answering those questions comprehensively, which I'm appreciative of. Yeah. Jeff Choate comes out and spends like the first five to 10 minutes talking before he even feels any questions. <laughs> Do you just sit there and just like uh, check off questions you had? Cause he pretty much just answers them all in one giant <laughs> diatribe. Uh, well, usually he's talking about the other team and he's always extremely complimentary of the other team. So he, I guess he usually checks off our questions about the other team. Like if we have like a specific question about, you know, Kevin Thompson, you know, a quarterback from Sacramento state. And then he'll just go on like a, three minute rant about <laughs> Kevin Thompson. Like, Oh, this guy's a great player. He's had a great season, blah, blah, blah. And I mean, I, I, I should, you know, I say that jokingly, but um, you know, he's uh he is very, very, uh, very um, elaborate in his assessment of his opponents. Oh yes. It, it's very entertaining to listen to. Like he, I love listening to Jeff Cho's press conferences, uh, start contrast to the way that Rob Ash handled his press conferences where basically didn't answer anything. And his stock answer was always, um, you know, I'll have to look at the tape. Like I haven't watched the game film yet. That was pretty much his answer to every single question. So a lot more entertaining to watch Jeff Choate. Hey, Paul, has Jeff Choate ever uh, chewed you out off air? Um, <laughs> I'll go with a no comment on that question. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> and then I will say he, we want that a very funny interaction. Well, it wasn't funny in the moment, but looking back, I can kind of laugh about it. Um, this was before they played Western Illinois in 2018. And Western Illinois had a defensive tackle who ended up being like a decent NFL prospect. And he was like one of the best players on there on Western Illinois defense. And, and I, and I 
take the blame for this because I kind of didn't really think think this through. But I asked him. So so Jeff Cho goes on that whole opening statement whole thing, and he's like, oh, you know, whatever number the guy was. Let's say he was if he was number ninety nine. He's like number ninety nine. Like that guy's a dude. That guy's gonna be. A, <laughs> he that guy's a great player. He could have a future in the NFL. We're gonna have a really tough time. Like we're gonna have to really, you know, do something about him and 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 uh, game plan for him. <laughs> and I, and I asked the question. I said, you know, obviously you spoke highly of him. Do you have a plan to stop him, or do you have a plan to block him? And he just like <laughs> stared at me. And he goes, he goes, yes, we have a plan. And then he and then he pauses and he goes, let's dial in our questions a little bit. <laughs> and and looking back, I mean, I don't blame him uh, for saying that, because in fairness, you know, like maybe I could have phrased the question a little bit better. Um, but it was kind of funny. Like, and it, it's funny looking back on now. Um, but at the time, I was just like, oh, geez, this is not good. And the thing is that, you know, those press conferences, like, you know, the full video gets out. And anyone could watch them. Yeah. And I could just look like a complete fool. <laughs> and that's fine. And, you know, I, you know, you yeah. learn from that kind of stuff. I don't necessarily mind that, you know, that give and take. And uh, I think I agreed with him. You know, I could have dialed in my questions a little bit better, but it was, uh, definitely was kind of funny and definitely caught me off guard too. Yeah. That's yeah, good, I, to- man. I totally will not be Googling the, the press conference for the Western Illinois <laughs> Cold Rush game in 2018. No one Google that. <laughs> <laughs> it does not exist. It's not on the internet anywhere, I'm sure. All right. Well, Ryan, you got any other questions on the football side of things? No, nope, that, that's all I got. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good way to end it. <laughs> yeah. Well, we talked a little bit before we started recording here um, a little bit about the facilities and any news there you have to offer. I don't know if there's much news right now. Uh, we're just kind of wondering if, if that um, we're going to be breaking ground anytime soon or if that's something that's being delayed. So as of now, I believe it's being delayed and I'm not sure really what the whole deal is with that. Um I know it was obviously planned to have a groundbreaking this spring, but everything right now is just kind of up in the air. So um not entirely sure of where that's going. Do you know what the next uh, phase in the fundraising portion is, like the next project that they hope to get done? That's a good question. I think it's accessible online somewhere in terms of beginning phase two of the 20 year master plan, which is like athletic director, Leon Costello's baby, essentially. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, I don't know what it is, but I don't think they'll be jumping, whatever it is. I don't know off the top of my head, but whatever it is, I don't think they'll be jumping into it right away because I believe that their plan is to kind of do some work on some smaller projects. And also, first of all, get phase one built. Yeah, yeah, we definitely can't put the the cart before the horse here. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, priorities for them, I think, are to get phase one built and then maybe also work on some smaller projects before anything um, bigger. Although I I don't know uh, exactly, but I'm sure that an indoor practice facility is somewhere somewhere on that list. <laughs> I think that would make Jeff Choate 
completely changed his tune about spring football. Yeah. <laughs> and there's a couple, of, yeah, a couple of financial balls in the air, I guess. I know there's the, we just got this done. Uh, the next thing, inner pack facility, whatever it may be. But also, I don't know how the fundraising or how any of that's working for cost of attendance. I know nothing next to nothing about it. I don't even know if it's going to happen, but I imagine that's got to tie up some um, fundraising if that were to uh, actually happen for the next season. Yeah. And, and some of that stuff, even, I mean, some of those conversations that were going on about that, that was like in the pre coronavirus world. And so right now, just, I mean, so much is up in the air, but like if there's, a significantly altered football season that would affect revenues. So that's another factor too, I'm sure for the, the athletic department in terms of just figuring out their finances. That's a good point. If there's no ticket sales or anything for a whole year, that's going to put a big dent in a lot of, lot of things. Right. So I think all these projects, you know, we're, we were kind of thinking about them differently and, we might have to recalibrate our thinking a little bit. Right on. Well, Paul, that's basically, man, that's all we have for you. And we just really want to thank you for your time and your candor. Uh, why don't you let the listeners know where we could find you? So you can find uh, find my, our articles online at bozemandailychronicle.com. And then as well as on Twitter, I'm at pschweds at pschweds. W-E-D-S, and then the sports editor of the Bozeman Chronicle is also on Twitter at Reporter, C-P-O-O-L-R-E-P-O-R-T-E-R, Colton Poole. Well, make sure to tag you when we do our little release tweet thing. Uh, Make sure people know where they can find you if they don't already. And uh, like I said, thanks for coming on. We certainly appreciate the work you do of covering the Bobcats. Just something that you know, obviously Ryan and I hold dear to our hearts, big Bobcat fans, and we just consume every single piece of content we can find. And uh, we appreciate everything (laughs) you do for the Bobcats. Oh, thank you for following along. And I'm glad, uh, I'm glad uh, that you like that stuff. So thank you. All right, Paula, thanks again and uh, have a good night. Thanks. Talk to you later.